Welcome to 66 Lessons for Life, the weekly radio program recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. Taught by our teacher, John Garepa, an attorney who guides us in the way of wisdom with a biblical worldview. You're invited to join us for the study. All right, we are continuing our study of Nehemiah. We are on Nehemiah chapter 2. And you know that when we left it off, we talked about the fact that Nehemiah had a heart that was terribly burdened for the surviving remnant in Jerusalem and Israel uh, because of the terrible condition that they were in. The country had been conquered several hundred years before it had been laid waste. And there was a terrible, terrible situation going there. And so even though there was a rebuilding of the temple about 70 years before, the walls around Jerusalem had not been rebuilt. And so as a result of that, the city was desolate. It had been overrun by so many different countries. And the Jews, the remnant that were there, had been suffering greatly. And so Nehemiah, who is now in Babylon and is the cupbearer to the king, has this burden from the goddess placed on his heart for the lost people, a burden for the work of God. And this whole series of lessons relating to Nehemiah relates to the rebuilding of the wall. And the wall, spiritually, represents the divide between the world and God's people. God expects that we will not live like the world, that we will not become uh, contaminated by living in the world and, and serving false gods and false idols. And I told you about the fact of what false gods and false idols are uh, and in a modern metaphor, meaning for us, it's materialism, lust, power, praise. All those issues become false gods as we run after them and seek them instead of focusing on the cross of Jesus Christ and doing what he wants us to do. And so you see this here with Nehemiah. And so now four months has gone by as he's prayed about this and fasted and reflected because he's concerned as the cupbearer, that is a a very choice position. As the cupbearer, he's right there with the king. He's a trusted uh, servant to the king. He doesn't want to do anything that will undercut that position. And so he wants to wait for the right moment to speak to the king about this issue. And so Nehemiah chapter 2 is now when Nehemiah is about to speak to the king. And we'll read some verses here. In the month of Nisan, this is verse number 1 in chapter 2, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine, that's Nehemiah writing in the first person, and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This cannot be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And notice that, that in that infinitesimal point of time between the king asking him, what is it that you want? He doesn't immediately spout an answer, but he prays silently to God. He asks God, Lord, help me. Give me the words. You can just see it. Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, 
Let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Now notice, he does not say Jerusalem uh, specifically. And I believe one of the reasons that he does not is I think God has given him the wisdom to know that that's a little bit of a sore point with this king. Because the king had allowed the rebuilding of the temple and, and those people that rebuilt the temple, the Jews that were involved in that after they got in got uh, finished the temple rebuilding they started to rebuild the wall without approval from the king and those people who were in opposition to it went back and told the king hey these people are are, are starting to rebuild the wall it's a national effort a nationalized effort this could be a problem and the king shut it down he shut it down this king Artaxerxes stopped it 14 years earlier and so now he's going back Nehemiah is going back and asks, asking him to reverse that order. So you can imagine how careful his words must be. And so he's going back and saying, I want to go back to the city where my fathers are buried. Verse 8, Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter of Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me a timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king also had sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite, the Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Satan is always, always uh, in evidence and does not want to see the work of God go on. You see this right there. Verse 11, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few good men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and reentered the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. We will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is it that you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start in rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim of historic right to it. So what you see here is a great picture of a man burdened by the work of God, bur bur uh, burdened by the kingdom, burdened to go out and change what's taking place in the kingdom of God to advance it. And so you see that he had waited four months before he spoke to the king. And that's the first part of this lesson, four months 
And so when God puts a burden on you, you need to pray and reflect. Ask the Holy Spirit to touch your heart. Lord, what is it that you want me to do? How do you want me to advance your work? You ask God to give you wisdom and to open the doors. And that's what he did. He waited four months before he reached out and to speak, speak to the king. But at the time that he had done this, as he prayed, he had begun to formulate a plan. And that's how God wants us to do things. He, as he asks you to pray about it, he begins to use your other gifts. This is an example of using your other gifts. God gives you an intellect. God gives you administrative abilities. God gives you the ability of leadership. And he does this because he expects you to use your gifts to advance the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. And you see that here. Yes, he prayed, but he didn't go in when he prayed. And when, he, and when the king said, what do you want me to do? He didn't say, I really don't know. Let me get back to you. I'll get to put some ideas down. He was ready. You understand? He was ready. God had spoken to his heart. He had a specific plan in mind. And so he had gone there. He's using his intellectual abilities, his past experiences, his gifts, so that when the king asked him what he wanted done, he told him what he wanted done. And then when the king says, how long will this take? He gave him a response. I gave him the timetable. He, he, he let the king know that I'm not just going out there in a wishy-washy way. I have a plan to do this, to advance the work of the kingdom of God. Uh, and so what this means is waiting on God teaches us patience. And waiting on God also gives you wisdom. Because if you shoot from the hip, it's going to be your opinion. It's going to be your thoughts. It's going to be your mindset. But when you wait on God and you ask God, Lord, help me, uh, give me wisdom, it's amazing how you will see that. And, you know, in this latest uh, project that we did to buy that house for, for that uh, woman, when we need, because we knew the need, I must have looked at 20 houses. I looked at 20 houses. And I put offers in on about three of them. And I prayed for each one. I gathered the people outside. I gathered the broker. And we prayed, Lord, if this is your will, you bless this offer. And in each case, it blew up. It blew up. And I, I really began to say, Lord, I mean, am I doing something wrong, Father? Am I doing something wrong? And no, it's what God is teaching me patience. You know, John, I know the kind of person you are. You're a type A. You want to put your foot right to the floor? Well, it's not about you, John. It's about me. And so there's a lesson being taught here to, to the recipient of the gift, to the real estate broker, to the people who are giving money. This is, a, this is a, a lesson that I'm teaching everybody. And what I want you to understand is that you need to rely on me. And so I did. Until finally, when this last project came in and we put the number in, almost everything went through smoothly. Smoothly. Whereas before, there were all kinds of obstacles. We put a number in and with very little negotiation, uh, with some upward movement on our initial offer, very little, the deal went through. And when there was a, an indication that it required some deduction because of some small issue, immediately the number that we suggested was agreed to. And I already told you that the home inspection company, when, tell, when telling me that the home inspection would be $1,000, when I asked them for a, uh, a, a discount, gave it to me for free for free, all confirming the fact that this was the will of God, the will of God. 
and so that's what you see. And I, and I see this story here with Nehemiah. So here is the king, the very king, who has shut down the rebuilding of the wall 14 years earlier. Stop it. I don't want it rebuilt. And now he goes into the same king and is asking him to reverse the order. Think about that. He's putting himself out on a limb. Here he is, this little Jewish guy who's sitting there in this prime position that God has given him, and he's putting himself on the line. Putting himself on the line. He could very easily have lost that position. Very easily. Uh, as the king could have said, don't you know that order that I've already issued? How dare you try to get me to reverse something that I've already done? But he had done it in such an articulate and loving and gracious way. Even the words that he used. This is a lesson for you. Notice the words that he used. He didn't say, I want to go back to Jerusalem and build a wall. Because if he spoke like that, most likely the king's heart would have been hardened. But instead he talks about the fact, I want to go back to the land where my fathers are buried. Where my people are from. That lies in desolation. I want to go back there and help them. And the king's heart was touched. Because God was involved. And then look at the things that he asked. Then he asked, I need to have uh, certifications for safe travel. The king gives it to him. Then he goes, I need to be able to get far a wood from your forest. Can you imagine? The king gives it to him. I mean, do you see the hand of God when God ordains something for you? When God opens the door, you don't have to worry about what, what's going to take place. You give it up to God and God opens the door. I can't tell you how many times in my life I have seen this over and over and over again, that when you give it up to God and you say to God, Lord, I will follow you. I will submit to you. Just direct my paths and you wait on him in prayer. He will speak to you. The problem with us is we don't do that. We don't wait on him. We don't wait on him. Some of us will say a prayer and we'll launch off immediately. Lord, bless me today. Uh, amen. Boom. <laughs> it's a disaster. Yes, it is. But I prayed. Yes, and what did you pray for? What did you pray for? Did you pray for my will? Or did you pray that I would just put my imprimatur on your will? Is it your will that's involved or is it my will? And see, so many times we forget who's God. All right? We think... He's our concierge. One of the things that I have I've learned as I've studied this is I've seen the misapplication in, in, by many Christians of understanding who God is. I need this. I want this. I need this. I want this. I need this. How many times when you sit down and pray, do you first say to God, God, you are the God of the universe. You are the sovereign God. You are the creator of everything. You are the most holy. If you look at all the great prayers in the Bible, every single great prayer that I can think of, including the Lord's Prayer, begins with the opening lines, the opening stands, you are the great and sovereign, holy God. Before you start going on with your laundry list, you see that? And that's what Nehemiah did in his prayer. And so I'm so impressed with this. So now you see this. He's approaching the king who issued the order to stop it all. This is a Persian. This isn't a Jew. It's a pagan. And this pagan is going to allow a Jew to go back 
to Jerusalem to rebuild a wall for Jewish people. How does that happen? You understand and you see the hand of God. And by the way, as Nehemiah goes back and begins the rebuilding of the wall, that will effectively begin the clock ticking in the prophecy of Daniel. When Daniel talked about the week, 69 weeks uh, of seven years in which the Messiah would return to Jerusalem. And if you study this and you look at the beginning of this time and you can track it, uh, and you track it, and I've read several books on this subject, that that period, which comes to about, I believe, when they do it 444 or 450 years, it comes back almost precisely to the week that Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Can you imagine? All right? That was the prophecy. That was the prophecy. Once the walls would be rebuilt and the clock starts ticking and the clock of God, the infinite, universal clock of God, all starts coming together. And so you see this great picture and so much is, it teaches us how we are to pray and organize our life. Yes, God gave you a mind. Yes, God gave you gifts. Yes, God made you a leader. Yes, and all of you have some position of leadership. In your home, you are the priest of the home. In your community, people look up to you. In your churches, people look up to you. Each and every one of you has a position of leadership. So don't tell me, well, this is only for certain people. No, it's not for certain people. It's for you. It's for everyone, understanding how God wants us to act as he, as he puts a burden on our heart. Now, notice the burden. Now, if you don't receive, if you say to me, I don't really get the burden part. I'm not, I'm not feeling much burden in my heart. Oh, that's not a good thing. I can't phrase it any other way. That's, that's, that's really not a good thing, see? Because if you're not getting a burden from God about what he wants you to do, then you need to spend more time in prayer and in more time in the scripture. Because God puts intentional burdens on your heart. That's how he does it. And I don't know what it is. Each of us, God uses each of us differently. But each of us will be spoken to by God in a different way. That's how the Holy Spirit works. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I've never heard God speak. No, God won't speak to you in a natural voice, but it'll be in a feeling, an impression, uh, a heaviness of heart. And often it comes at night. At night. And you'll be sleeping, and all of a sudden, have you noticed that you can't sleep right? And you start tossing and turning, and you're thinking about some brother, somebody that needs a hand, some issue that's, that needs attending to, and it's weighing heavily on your heart, that's how God speaks to us. I want to tell you that. And that's important to know. And so here you see how this man who gave himself over to God, submitted to God, how, how he acted when he found all this. And so here he is. He even asks, he even asks the king for the wood. I need the wood from your forest. And because God uh, approved of it and touched it, he, the king gave it to him. Uh, and so it took probably about two months, two months for Nehemiah to make this journey back. And you can imagine as he's making this journey back, he's going through adverse countries and adverse lands. 
and don't think that they gave him a victory parade. They didn't give him a victory parade. Satan was there every step of the way because Satan does not want to see the hand of God uh, be advanced. And I'm going to tell you something that I've seen in my own life. Sometimes the greatest adversaries are those people who should know better. Sometimes the greatest adversaries are those people who are even in church, who somehow don't have not given themselves over to God. And even though they may be in church, they, they don't have the same vision of the kingdom that you do. And they may be advancing the kingdom of the church instead of advancing the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Let me make sure you understand what I'm saying. And C.S. Lewis understood that so well in the screw tape letters. When, as I told you, one of my favorite pieces of literature, when the senior demon, senior demon uh, screw tape speaks to his nephew, Wormwood, and Wormwood is advancing the demon's work in this world with a patient, steering him eventually to hell. And the patient now suddenly joins a church. Oh, dearness. Oh, this is a catastrophe. And he writes to his uncle, the senior demon. Oh, dear uncle, I have failed miserably. My patient has joined a church. And Wormwood writes back to his nephew. Dear, not, and dear nephew, fear not. We do our best work in church. Now, what does it mean? It doesn't mean that churches are bad. Churches are great. The kingdom of God is advanced through church. But even in church, there will be influences. There will be negativity. Don't you think Satan has his representatives sitting there in church? Why not? That's where the sick people go. Why not? And so let's understand this. And you see this here with Nehemiah. He gets back to Jerusalem and he has these, these outcasts that are there that are kind of rogue Jews, and you see what they're doing. They're attacking him. They're ridiculing him. They're pulling the work of God down right there in Jerusalem. People who should have known better. And you see, that's how it is. So when you step up, when God touches your heart, when you, God is using you to advance the kingdom of God, the first thing you should expect is criticism. The first thing. Don't think, oh, this is going to be great. Everybody's going to, I'm going to have a parade. They're going to lift me up. They're going to get a statue for me. This is unbelievable. Whoa, wow. When people realize what I'm doing, this is good. I'm going to touch everybody's heart. And all of a sudden, God has inspired you to do it and nobody is saying a word. There's no applause. There's criticism. That doesn't mean you're not doing God's work. In many ways, that's the evidence that you are doing God's work. Because the crowd, the world, doesn't share the same vision that God has given you. And I see that here with Nehemiah. I see it. Here he is going back, rebuilding the wall, effectively separating out the pagan world from the godly world, protecting the Jewish people, helping to lift them back up, affirming them with their covenant of God, reestablishing them with the promises of God. And that's what the wall is about. This isn't a mere wall. This isn't mere bricks and stones. This is a far greater uh, word here, as God is teaching us what this is about. Uh, and so look at what Nehemiah did when he got back to Jerusalem. 
as he got back there, and you see the area rulers exerting their displeasure. They don't want him back. They don't want the wall rebuilt. They want the people left in desolation. That's how Satan operates. He doesn't want to see you advance the kingdom of God. Keep them where they are. And, And if you notice something, if you notice that as each and every one of you have gotten closer to the Lord, has your life gotten easier? Well, you're right. In many ways, your life has gotten harder. You've got every step that you take cross, closer to the cross, you know that you, get, you, you have criticism in your life. You have some persecution in your life. You have some suffering in your life. What do you think that's about? You think Satan is out doing this damage that he wants to the guy that's in the gutter? He doesn't care about the guy in the gutter. He's got him controlled. But you, my friends, you are different. You are a problem. You're praying. You're asking God to ha- give you leadership and to give you with you, my friends, are a problem. And that is why you have a target on your back. You have a target on your back. That's why I pray for you. Because I know you're getting closer to God. And as you get closer to God, Satan would like nothing better, nothing better than to rip you down and to destroy you. And so he gets back to Jerusalem. And the first thing he does, he begins the project by carefully surveying what needed to be done. And look how he did this. He was so careful. And, and, and what a, a, another example of wisdom. He did it at night. He didn't go around flaunting it. Hey, I'm the king's representative. I'm an important man. You realize who I am? He didn't do that. You see a guy who is submitting to God, who is putting himself down, not looking to have personal praise. And yet going and doing, surveying the entire walls at night. And it's amazing as you read the story about the surveying and you see how how he's looking at the deplorable condition. Some of the gates he can't even go through with his horse that they're that bad. And so then he challenges the remnant. He challenges the remnant to rebuild the wall. And look how he does this. He doesn't accuse them. He doesn't attack them. He doesn't berate them, you losers. How could you have allowed this condition to take place? You are shameful. You don't see that. Instead, he gives them his personal testimony. He uplifts them by telling them what God did for him. Here he is, a Jew, a Jew from Babylon, who God allowed to go back and start this project by touching the heart of the king. What a what a testimony that is. And when he gives that testimony as to how God's gracious hand was on him and how the king then found favor with him, uh, and he does this through prayer and planning, God demonstrates his will by touching the heart of the people themselves. And now suddenly they're lifted up. Suddenly they lifted up. And so the people's negative feelings suddenly became positive. Their feelings of despair are now turned around. Uh, And they respond and they begin to rebuild the wall. And so you see how all this spiritual progress, progress starts off when Nehemiah has submitted himself to God and acts in an appropriate way consistent with God's will. And so now what happens? The wall is being rebuilt. The work of God is advanced. This is great. Well, don't start putting on your happy shoes. 
Because what happens next? As the enemies hear the news of the rebuilding, they step up their efforts to stop the rebuilding. They used every possible demoralizing technique they knew, beginning with ridicule. Underline it. Ridicule. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Do you think you're going to make a difference? What makes you think that you have the ability to lead this project? Just ridicule. And I want you to recognize that. That when you go out, go forward, and want to advance the kingdom of God, one of the first things you're going to have facing is criticism of you and most likely personal criticism. Personal criticism. That's how Satan works. And it'll come from people that, that, that you would never, never expect. I have found in my own life, especially in ministry, that, in fact, some of the uh, hardest work that I've had to do has not been with the people that are unsaved or the lost it's been working with people who have been in the kingdom of God for years. All right? I see people shaking their hand, heads in the back of the room that are involved. The hardest work that I have, often the most profound criticism, comes from people that should know better. Uh, people that have, that have been in the work for years. Not from the lost, not from the unsaved, but from people that should know better. And you should expect that to happen. That's the way it is. Because, the, because Satan uses some of the most incredible opportunities to destroy the work of God. And some of them will come from people who you would not expect it to come from. But you should expect it. So you're stepping up. You're trying to do God's work. You're trying to advance the cause of Christ. You're trying to help people. You're trying to move the cross of Christ. And now, instead of being encouraged... And lifted up uh, and affirmed, what are you getting? Who are you? Who are you? What is this about? Who made you king? Oh, you're so holy now. When did you get so holy? You know, I liked you a lot better before. You were a lot more fun to hang around with a couple years ago. Now you take yourself a little too seriously. You know, you've heard this all. You've heard all this. This is Satan. This is Satan. This is how God, uh, this is how God is advising you to be protected. That's exactly what you should expect. But Nehemiah was ready for the attack. You understand it? He was ready for that kind of ridicule. He affirmed that the God of heaven would enable them to succeed. Uh, and so, understanding this, that he took the attack and he deflected the attack. And so, here's the thing. Ministry involves working with people. My son said to me uh, a couple months ago that ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. <laughs> and honestly, there's a lot of truth in that statement. All right, there's a lot of truth. But the point of it is that's exactly what ministry is about. Ministry, and, me, and, and this appends to all of you, ministry involves, means getting people to work for the kingdom of God. Being responsible to direct people, to lead them, to give them wisdom, to give them a, a, a diagram of what God wants. And so you have to understand how to work with people. If God intends to use you, you need to submit to God and know how to speak to people. 
the first thing you need to know is do not become judgmental. Do not sit there and become judgmental. You didn't see Nehemiah coming into Jerusalem and saying, you're a bunch of losers. Look at you, you make me sick. How could you have allowed this thing to happen? Instead, he elevated them. He gave them a personal testimony. He lifted them up. He gave them a vision of what it could be, uh, of what God wanted it to be. And so you understand, if you want to work with, with, for God, you want to accomplish things for God, you need to know how God wants you to act. God wants you to act in love, with care, with affection. You don't need more judges. We've got plenty of judges. We need people that dispense love and caring. And so you see that here. And so Nehemiah exhibited many characteristics necessary for effective leadership. And this is an appropriate subject uh, to, to take and, and discuss because God expects each and every one of you to be spiritual leaders. And look at the, at, at the issues that Nehemiah addressed to become an effective leader for God. First, he established a reasonable and attainable goal. He didn't say, I'm going to get to the top of Mount Everest. Who's coming with me? Instead, he saw the need for a wall to be rebuilt. And it was a reasonable goal. And it was an attainable goal. And so he asked God to give him the wisdom to, to address that. Next, he had a sense of mission. Now, when we work for God, we need to have that sense of mission. Meaning, as God gives us wisdom, you need to have this burden in your heart. That's what I call the burden during the night, the night burden, when you can't sleep, when you're tossing and turning. And that becomes a sense of mission. God tells you, you need to do this. You need to have a, a vision for this. And so you need to have a sense of mission because it's that sense of mission that you're going to articulate to a lost world. Then he was willing to get involved. This is a big deal. Because what happens to a lot of us is we'll see a need, and here's how we will respond. And I was like this myself for many years. Oh, oh, that's awful. Oh, Father, Lord, Jesus. Oh, deliver them. Oh, God, that situation is horrible. And then five minutes later, so uh, are we going out for breakfast? What are we doing for lunch? We compartmentalize our lives. You know this. Yes, I've been affected by this, but I don't want to let that get into the regular part of my life because I'm a busy person. I've got a lot of things to do, and I really can't get involved in this. Well, that's exactly what God is telling you today. He expects you to get involved. This message about Nehemiah is a message of involvement. This guy didn't need to do this. He had his life taken care of. I'm the cupbearer. I don't care about those Jews in, in Jerusalem. They're hundreds of miles away. I've never met them. I got it made here. Are you kidding me? I'm going to blow this gig? This is unbelievable. I can just stay here. I'll be set for the rest of my life. No, no. He couldn't sleep at night. He was burdened. It affected him. And so what happens? He, through the grace of God, he got involved. 
And that's the lesson here for us. He got involved. He didn't just sit sideways. He didn't just let the parade go by. He knew that it was a critical issue for him to step up and get involved for the kingdom of God. This is a big deal for you guys, understanding this, that God expects you to get involved. And then he patiently awaited God's timing. He didn't just jump up as soon as he thought it hit him in the face and started moving. He waited for God's timing. This is an important lesson. You need to pray about it. Ask God for wisdom. And then wait for the confirmation, even as, as you move forward. Um, uh, some years ago, when I was reflecting on uh, leaving the practice of law and going full-time into the ministry, I had sat with uh, Gary Chapman, the author of The Five Love, Love Languages. And he had come down and stayed at my house. And, and at that time, this goes back about 20 years ago, I was reflecting on just walking away from the practice of law uh, and putting myself full-time into some ministry. And Gary said to me, uh, did you ask your father about this? And, and uh, uh, I said, yes, I did. He said, and what did your father say? My father said, go slow. Go slow. Gary said, your father's right, John, but you can't steer a car unless it's moving. You can't steer a car unless it's moving. It's one of those simple statements that's so true that you understand immediately. So what it means is this. You go slow. You don't be impulsive. You don't immediately jump out because you think you, 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 you've got a call from God to do something. You wait for God to confirm it to give you affirmation about it. But in the meantime, you don't sit on a couch in your house waiting for a meteor to come through the roof with a message on you telling you what you need to do. You understand? Because for some of us, that's what it's like. What are you waiting on? Well, I'm waiting for God to speak to me. Really? Really? You're waiting? Yes. What are you doing while you're waiting? Well, I'm uh, waiting. But you're not doing anything. No, because I'm uh, waiting. So God expects you to be moving even during the waiting process. And what is moving while the waiting process goes on? In this case with Nehemiah, it was fasting. It was reading scripture. It was praying uh, for four months. That's moving. That's moving. That's what God expects. So you don't just sit there like a stiff, waiting for everything to come directly to you like a conveyor, but you put yourself in a position so that when the confirmation comes down, you're ready to move because you've already started to move. And that really resonates with me. And then look at the other aspect here. He prayed at crucial times. Not only did he pray for four months, not only did he pray for four months and fasted for four months, but even as he begins the colloquy with the king and he begins that process, and as the king says, what's the matter? What do you want me to do? What does he do? He prays. How many times have I said to you, you need to pray a hundred times a day? This is the hundred times a day example. And, and, and don't think that he said, oh, wait a minute. Let me get on my knees. Let me get my prayer rug out. No, 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 no. It's that silent prayer, that sighing to God, 
that you need you need his influence you need his answer you need his wisdom in your life and you see that here and so what i'm saying to you whenever you do whatever position you're in whatever job you've got whatever responsibility you've got when you're with your family whatever issue it is you need to be praying like this and asking god for his wisdom for his guidance just like that before i open my mouth up god help me lord help me and you see the words come out and the words are poignant and the words have the power of god attached to them and the words touch the king's heart because he prayed because he prayed if i had to say to you one thing to remember from us for our lessons that we've studied i i can't emphasize this enough the prayer life the constant speaking to god in the car while you're walking while you're here listening to me you should actually be asking god praying to god silently asking him to give you wisdom to have these words resonate in your heart this all goes on and what happens is after a while it becomes part of your life so you're not then you don't have to sit there and put sackcloth and ashes on in order to speak to god you have adopted a method of communication with god that involves you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You don't do anything. You don't step out anywhere without speaking to him. It's that simple. And don't go thinking, oh, if I start doing this, I'm going to look like a flake. Nobody's going to want to be friends with me. No, let me tell you something. When you start doing this, you'll be a magnet that you cannot imagine that'll bring the light of Jesus Christ to the world. People will want to be your friend that you will never ever ever see anything like it because you're going to reflect the light of jesus christ and that's what he that, that, that's what you see here and then what you see here is that even though he prayed and asked god for wisdom he prepared and thought out the project in advance god gave you an intellect god gave you gifts god gave you talent God doesn't say you take everything that I gave you and you put it aside and then you go in and when, when they're asked, what do, you, what do you want me to do? You sit there and go, I have no idea really. You tell me, what do you think you can do for me? That's not how God works. God expects you to articulate a plan under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You prayed. You asked him for wisdom. But then you, but then you use the mind that he gave you, the intellect that he gave you in order to advance the kingdom of God. And that's what you say here. And so it, to serve God realistically, we must wait on him for his timing and we must learn to work with all different kinds of people and wrestle with all different kinds of problems. Just because it is the Lord's work and he is on our side does not mean that the work of God will go smoothly. Do you hear what I just said? Just because it's God's work and he's on our side does not mean that when you reach out and you start to move forward for God, that it will go smoothly. Often it will not. Why? In many ways, it's the confirmation that it's God's work because Satan wants to stop it in its tracks. And I want you to be mindful of that, that as you've advancing to the cross of Christ, and you're starting to see difficulties in your life. It's not that you're going wrong. It's because you're going right. It's because you're moving towards Jesus. And that's why these things come into your life. I want to affirm for you right now. 
that that's a positive sign that God is using you and you have great things planned ahead of you. Believe me. And so I, this is especially poignant when we come to the point of the end of a season and we look back at what we've learned and what we want to do. I want to encourage each and every one of you to reach out for the kingdom. I want each one of you to ask God, what do you want me to do, God? How can I change my family? How can I be the priest of my home? How can I better my friends? Lord, what do you want from me? What is the work you want from me? Just like Nehemiah, and each one of you has a work that God has reserved for you. You ask God to confirm it. And you ask God to give you the burden, to give you the burden for his people. And he will do it. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for these dear people. I thank you for their heart. Now, Lord, I, I thank you for the blessings that you've given us this year, how you've touched us and the words that you've given us. I ask a special blessing of protection for this coming months while we are in hiatus. Protect our dear brothers. Be with them in every way until we can see each other again as we lay all of it before your throne. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to 66 Lessons for Life, the men's Bible study taught by John Garippa and recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding so that you, the man of God, would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For more information about the program or attending the Naples Men's Bible Study at the Naples Conference Center, go to our website at 66lessonsforlife.com.